We forgot to change the lighting cue, so you got to see me get ready for you this morning. It's awesome. Thanks. It's not very often that you get called a treat, so I'm going to accept that for everything that that means. Uh, glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is DJ. I'm the youth pastor here at, at Genesis, and it is my pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, I have this microphone because I've been, uh, I've had this like brutal sinus cold all week, and so I may start coughing in the middle of this, so I want to be able to spare you from the racking coughs. Uh, we'll get through this uh, with Dayquil and Ricolas, right? Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, but in the, in the uh, interest of being uh, vulnerable and authentic, I wanted to give you a confession this morning. Uh, I hate the status quo. Anybody else in here that's an anarchist like me? Anybody else want to just burn it down? <laughs> How did I know that Zach would be one of those? I knew it. Uh, if it's a choice between leave it alone and blow it up, I want to blow it up every single time. Come on. Some of you are not with me. Uh, my other job probably doesn't help this, right? Like, I go to the racetrack, and we're always chasing new lap records, wins, like, dominating other people. We are in it to do all of the wrecking. We are, <laughs> well, hopefully not too many wrecks, but, uh, yeah, all of that. So it just, it just feeds that part of my life that's like, forget it. Like, this isn't working. Let's throw in the towel, and let's start all over again. Um, and I can tell you about five or six instances in my life where I have done this, where I've, I've just been prepared to do all of the things to change whatever it is that's going on. One of the most formational for me was in 1998. I was 19. You can do the math. Let's not do that too well. Um, but uh, my life was not going very well at that point in time. And so it seemed like a good idea to move 2,000 miles and go to Bible college and uproot my entire life and do that. And uh, so when you're sitting in your living room, that sounds like a great idea, right? That, that sounds perfect. But then when you actually make that drive and you show up and you're a crushing introvert and uh, you don't know hardly anybody there and you're wondering how you're going to pay for it and you can't have a job because it's in another country everything suddenly gets into a little bit sharper focus and the anxiety starts, right? It's tough. It's tough. But I stayed, and that year of my life changed my whole trajectory. It changed everything. So that's, that's part of why I am who I am. How about you, right? We've already established many of you are not like me. Some of you are maybe even the leave it alone, even if it's broken types. Anybody here that way? Are you a leave it alone? You're not raising your hands because you don't want to admit to it. But I know somebody is. And listen, I know that there's got to be a middle ground here, right? There has to be a middle ground where most of us live. Um, but when you're a burn it to the ground type, it doesn't feel like it, right? You people are just getting in my way. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that because... I try to be more sensitive now that I'm older in my life and understand that we can't just burn everything to the ground. This morning, I want to ask us this question. Are you going to live in the tent maker's stall or the synagogue? And right now, you're like, what does that have to do with burning everything to the ground? And what are you talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
So grab your, uh, your old school Bible. Who's got an old school Bible this morning? Anybody brought theirs with you? Yeah, a few of you. Nice. Good work. So we're going to be in Acts 18. If you don't have a paper Bible, you can grab the YouVersion app. And uh, once you're in there, you can look for more down in the bottom corner and click on events. And then uh, if you look at Genesis Church, you will be able to follow along with everything that we're doing today. Starting in Acts chapter 18, and just a side note, this is what you get when you make fun of Pastor Ryan for being in Acts forever. He makes you reintroduce the series back to you after we've been in Genesis 2.0. So here we go. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. So the last time we had seen Paul, he was hanging out in Athens, and he was using all of his cultural intelligence to debate and argue and talk to people there and try to enlighten the citizens of Athens that the mystery God that they observed was actually this Hebrew God that he was talking about. Athens was this very philosophical city. He was, uh, they were where conversation and debate were valued. These were all things that they were interested in. But we get the sense that maybe things weren't going like Paul thought they were. Maybe there weren't as many conversions as Paul assumed that there would be. But for whatever reason, Paul doesn't stay real long in Athens. He decides ultimately that it's time to move on down the road. So he travels 50 miles to the city of Corinth. And uh, you may have heard of that. There's a couple of books in the Bible called uh, First and Second Corinthians. And so those are letters that Paul later wrote back to the people in Corinth that he had visited. But if you don't know, so Athens is like this, this uh, it's kind of like a college campus, right? Academic, very, uh, very head, head space. Corinth, on the other hand, uh, is completely the opposite. Uh, so it is said that Rome was, was kind of assumed to be the most evil empire on the face of the earth at the time, and the people of Rome made fun of the Corinthians for being the most evil part of their empire, okay? So you're talking about a place where, where Paul has gone to have conversations, and now he's going to this place. What in the world was he thinking? See, Cor Corinth was, uh, it's on the coast, and so there was tons of trade that happened there. People would come to trade their goods from the east with the people from the west, and the people from the west would come to trade their goods from the people from the east. It was an important city. So Paul arrives uh, harassed and tired and lonely, and it doesn't necessarily say this in the text that we just read, but later... He's writing back to the Corinthians, and he's remembering his time like this. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This doesn't sound like Paul, right? This doesn't sound like the Paul who was just in Athens, who was laying it down, who was giving it to him, who was, who was using everything he had to show them exactly what he believed in. See, Paul came to Corinth broken and weary, and he found companionship there. Uh, it talks about Priscilla and Aquila, 
And the reason that Paul gets to know them is because they're in the same industry that he is. Paul is so broken, he's not going to come into town to do ministry. He shows up to get a job and to do some work and to provide for himself. Isn't that telling? Isn't it interesting? They work together and they live together because that's what Paul needs at this point in his life. Uh, let's look at verse 4. It says, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So he begins to change as he's there over time. Paul, Paul returns to his ministry. First, he goes every Sabbath. So he's got a job during the week. He's doing his work. And then he shows up on the weekends and he talks about who Jesus is. And he talks about this message of hope that he's got. And then eventually his friends return from far away. And we know from uh, his later letters that they brought him gifts. They made it so that Paul didn't have to work full time anymore to provide for himself. He was able to spend more time in the synagogue because of what they brought him. He's living in the world with people who cared for and about him. And that's what prepared him to go back to ministry. Paul wasn't ready when he arrived in, in Corinth. He wasn't planning on ministry. When you are tired, and you're going to be tired, and when the God life hurts, sometimes this life that we do with God, it hurts. It's okay to say that. Not only is it okay to say that, we need to say that more. We need to be honest about what's going on in our lives because this is happening to literally everyone. You cannot possibly be the strong man in all of your life or woman. We don't have it in us. We don't. We all need a place that we can land and just let the illusion of strength and control go, right? Where is your tent maker's stall? Where did Paul find his strength again? Not inside the synagogue, not inside some religious center. Paul found his strength finding common interest and common work and hearts that shared some of the same passions, just doing his everyday life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it incredible what God does? God puts this amazing call on Paul's life. And then when things aren't going so well, he finds God in the unlikeliest of places. So what about you? Have you found the place where you can go, the people that you can go to, to refresh, to find your place? Some of you have. Some of you are living that every day. And some of you, hopefully all of us, are someone else's tent maker stall. You are called to be the place where others around you can come and unload their burdens and just say, I am tired and I don't know if I can go on. And you get to be the reminder of who God is and what God is doing and what God has done in those people's lives. What a gift. What an amazing life you get to live. You get to be the building blocks 
for someone else to see God at work in their life. Isn't that incredible? Do we see that as our gift? See, people like, like Timothy and Silas, Barnabas and Luke and Priscilla and Aquila, they were deeply impacted by what God, by what God was doing through Paul. And that's awesome. Their lives were never the same. I would argue that they were probably never bored after that point either. Uh, if you went on a journey with Paul, you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew where you were going to go or ro what rocks might be thrown at you. It's probably not what they thought they would, were signing up for when they gave him some housing, <laughs> gave him a job. But hey, that's part of being with God. I want to give you two examples of what it looks like when, when people, when the church becomes a tent maker shop, okay? So the first is Mike. Mike was this, he was a great guy. He was a loving husband. He was a good father. He provided for his family, worked hard, but he didn't care one whit about Jesus. Never needed him, never understood it, didn't matter. His wife and his kids, on the other hand, they got it, and they were in church every week, every single week, and they were constantly praying for Mike, constantly the church was constantly in prayer for Mike. Every Wednesday night Bible study, praying for Mike. And he would show up. He was a creaster. Anybody else been that? You know, Christmas, Easter. Yeah. <laughs> and he would be there because he knew that it made his wife and his kids happy. And he was like, all right, twice a year, I can sacrifice and I can show up. Or if there was something exciting going on, you know, people getting baptized, things like that, he might show up. But he just never had, no one ever thought, oh, yeah, he's, he's on the path to meeting Jesus. So this goes on for 20 years. And then one day, Mike shows up at a church service, and he's crying. And it finally dawned on him who Jesus was in his family, that his family had made this commitment to the church, and the church had cared for them through that. The entire witness to Mike's life was how the people of that church cared for his wife and kids when he wasn't there on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. And that's it. Mike's still there, still loves Jesus. That made the difference in his life. Uh, another night, uh, our youth group in Michigan had, uh, had, through a long story, gotten this Christian rock group to come and, and be a part of a, one of our services. And so... They were in town, and they had done their sound check, and we went out to dinner, and uh, we're like halfway through dinner, and the lead singer stands up. He's like, I have to go talk to this girl. <laughs> we're like, well, okay, all right, cool. So he walks over to this table. There's a, a family, and, and there's a teenage girl there with a bunch of adults, and, and she's clearly not having a good time. And uh, so he's like, hey, you know, he introduced himself. He talks to her, and, uh, and he's like, you know, I really think that you should come and, uh, and hang out with us tonight. We're doing this concert. And this thing, she's like, all right, I don't have anything else going on, fine. So she actually showed up. She came, showed up. And, uh, and she was there and, and experienced it all. I never saw her again after that night. She was uh, from out of town. They were there on vacation. But her life, she admitted, was not going the way that she thought it was going to go. And there was just a whole lot going on that she was frustrated and didn't understand. And I don't know. I don't know where she is with Jesus. I know that that night she was still skeptical 
about all of it. But I know that it costs that guy literally nothing to invite a girl someplace to show her that adults saw her and cared for her because of what God had done in their lives. That's living in the tent maker's shop. All right, so there has to be an opposite of that, right? And uh, we get to see that in, uh, in this story. So in Acts 18, verse 6, it says this. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. So Paul is, has moved from talking on the weekends to now being there all week long to just trying to do some ministry in the synagogue. And this is their response. The cold truth of reality is that not everyone is going to choose the life that we have chosen. Not everyone that we come in contact with is going to choose to be a Jesus follower when we want them to do it. And especially when that someone is someone that we care about deeply, when it's not a stranger, when it's someone in our family, when it's a friend, when it's someone that we know could benefit from living with God. It's hard. It's difficult. It's hurtful sometimes. But what is our responsibility here? Is it our job to convince other people to follow Jesus? Is it my words that are convicting? No, absolutely not. It's God at work in us. Listen, we need to remember, and, and I don't mean this in like a, in a tear us down way. I don't mean this in a you, you're not good enough way, right? I want you to hear what I'm actually saying this morning. You and I, the best we can be, are reflections of who God is in our lives. The best thing we can be is a signpost that points to the one who gives us hope. I'm not giving you hope. You're not giving anybody else hope. You can't fix any of it, right? The, the bonus that we have is we know who can. We know who can make our lives whole. We know who can give us the confidence to face whatever it is that we have to face in our lives. That's the hope that we have. Not that suddenly I have the right answers, but that he's got the right answers, right? Come on. Alexander McLaren says this. Uh, it is a great part of Christian wisdom in evangelical work to recognize the right time to give up efforts which have been fruitless. Much strength is wasted and many hearts depressed by obstinate continuance in such methods or on such fields as have cost much effort and yielded no fruit. We often call it faith when it is only pride which prevents the acknowledgement of failure. Ooh, I know, right, Dara? Huh. I read that this week and I was like, oh, dang. When have I been too proud to let God do what God's going to do. Man, when have I given too much effort and God's like, man, just let it go. It's going to be okay. I'm at work here. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Jesus, oh, God bless you, Jesus. 
Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Yo, man, sometimes, sometimes the perseverance you have going on in your uh, persecution that you have going on in your life is because you are chasing the wrong thing. Look at what it says. They're going to trample what you say and attack you instead. Maybe you're inviting the trouble that you're living in. All right. All right. Okay. Come on. Hang with me. I promise we're going to get to some good stuff. But before we do, Dave Andrews says this about Jesus. Jesus Christ was the supreme example of authentic anarchy. Yes. Can I hear it, my people? The creative, nonviolent anarchist par excellence, working not from the top down, but from the bottom up with the poor and the poorest of the poor to empower people and enable them to realize their potential as men and women made in the images of God. Men and women made in the images of God. That's good news. I want to address two things before we move on. When Paul and Jesus talk about these things, they are not giving up. They are not throwing in the towel and saying never again. Paul uses some, some, some hard language here, okay? And, and I'm, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But he continued to pursue, to address, to love those of his own heritage. He continued to bring the good news to the Jews. He didn't give that up completely. In this moment, he's simply recognizing that this group of people had made a choice. They had decided they didn't believe this, and that was okay. All he's doing is saying, I hear you, and you have that right to make that choice. And so I am going to give up my pride. I am going to give up what I think is a better life for you and say, okay, you do what you need to do. These words sometimes have been used to hurt and to belittle and to malign Jewish people. And we need to know that 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 is not what we are called to. As Christians, that is not our message. Our message is of hope for first the Jew and then the Gentile or us, right? So what's happening in Israel this week is atrocious and we can talk about all of the things that have gone on in the past, but we just need to know that God has not given up on any part of his creation, including Israel. Okay. Secondly, we most often see ourselves in this story. And believe me, I want to be this person in this story. We identify with Paul in this story. Am I right? We're looking at Paul and we're like, yeah, man, preach it. Do the thing. Brush the dirt off the shoulders. Do all that stuff. You are awesome and so am I. (laughs) But what I'm asking for you to do this morning is not identify with Paul in this story. Set aside Paul. Paul is a special guy and there's plenty of room for you to be Paul in your life. What I'm asking you for is to see everyone else in the story. See Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy. See the synagogue 
as difficult as that is, these are our people. These are us. And the question this morning is, who are we going to be? Are we going to be Priscilla and Aquila giving rest and purpose and hope to a weary traveler? Or are we going to be the synagogue saying, nah, we're good. I think we're all right. Jesus and Paul are both clear in their purpose to do what they've been called to do with people who are receptive and ready to hear the truth that's offered. They have urgency. We need to have some urgency. They have an understanding that there's not a lot of time. But they also understand that if there's not a lot of time, there's not a lot of time to be wasted. There's not a lot of time to be given to things that don't matter. There's not a lot of time to be given to fights that can't be won. Are you more interested in reaching other lives or being obeyed? Do we need to be obeyed as Christians? No, I don't think so. I don't think God calls us to that at all. We're called to obey. We're called to follow the one who gives us everything that we need. Every decision that we make takes time and energy. It, it takes something from us. Every time you say yes to something, it means you're saying no to something else. Shouldn't we make sure that the yeses that we're making in our lives are pointing to the things that matter, that are the most important, and not about some frivolous pursuit of being right See, when we bash our heads against the wall, we're missing an opportunity to be love and to be caring for somebody in our lives. Is that what you're looking for? To keep the fight up? Or are you, or are you like Priscilla and Aquila, looking to invite people into your life? Are you looking to lay down your rights. Say, come on, bring whatever it is that you've got. Here's a, here's a spoiler for the rest of Acts 18. Sorry, Ryan. Here's a little spoiler. Um, Paul and his friends take their little mission right next door. Somehow this guy gets involved who lives next door to the synagogue. I love that. How fitting is that? The synagogue says no, and God says, come on. This is cool. We'll just take a little detour. It's fine. You want to find life? Here it is. Here's what I want you to consider as we get ready to peace out this morning. The social and community life that we are living in is a whole lot closer to Corinth than it is Athens. Listen, I know we think that we're very philosophical. We're very smart. And you are. You are very smart people. I know this. But... As enlightened as we are, there is a lot of sin and junk and brokenness and disturbing things going on in our world right now, right? Yeah, yeah. We are way closer to Corinth than Athens than we're comfortable admitting. Doesn't that disturb us? Doesn't that stir something up in us? If we're really followers of this better way, 
doesn't that say to us, there's got to be something else that we can do here. There's got to be a better way to talk about this stuff. Does it make you frantic to be right and to change it immediately? Or does it make you willing to dive in with people in your life, to show up for people who need you, to look for the weary and the wounded and the hopeless, to point to the one who's providing hope? Um, you know, sometimes we yearn for the old days, right? Right? And, uh, and we think, oh man, if it was only like it used to be. But used to be, people were hiding. People weren't living out there. I think we have an amazing opportunity to begin to see who people really are. We're not seeing people with masks on. This is my hope in youth ministry right now. Kids are real. They're showing us who they are. And, and I could go over the, all of the ways that we get to see that. But that gives me hope. Because in the 90s and the 2000s, it got hard to talk about Jesus. Because when life is just pretty good and there's not a lot of stress, there's not a lot of things going on, we had to be really creative in how we talked about Jesus. We had to be... We had to be willing to engage the subtle in different ways. We had to be willing to say to people, hey, listen, like, your life might not turn out the way you think it is. And they're like, yeah, but it'll still be fine. Like, I'll have a job and I'll, I'll be fine. I mean, kids are wondering if they're going to be able to move out of their parents' house by the time they're 30, right? That's terrifying if you're a teenager right now, right? You, you guys as parents, you think you're worried about your kids moving out? Believe me, your kids are worried about not being moving out. Know what I'm saying? They want to play video games all day long too. So what are we willing? What are we willing to become? Who are we willing to become? We have this world of sharpening contrasts. We can engage that. We have hope and a message for that. God has answers for that. So just like Paul in this moment, Paul travels to Corinth. He's confronted with a whole new thing. And he doesn't lay down. And he doesn't demand that the culture change for him. He says, I've got an answer for that. But I need a minute to get my heart ready. So us this week. Are we going to live in the tent maker's stall or the synagogue? Who do you need to partner with to create a tent store in your life? Who needs an invitation to be a part of that little shop on the corner? How are you going to partner with Jesus to make that happen? Or is our decision to remain as we are? to keep pumping out a cold, dead religion that says, I'd rather be right than live with you through the tough stuff. Paul found special people to share his life with in a most unexpected place. It changed his life, it changed the life of all of those people there. Paul lived 18 months in Corinth because he found good ministry to be done there. 
we have a lot of good ministry to do here at Genesis and out there beyond 32nd Street and Thunderbird. Our job is to create a kingdom oasis that shows who God is and what God is doing in our lives and then to carry that to our homes, to the coffee shop, to our workplaces, to the grocery store, to wherever, wherever it is that you're going. And what's, what's the end? What's the final moment together? I would say, based on this today, it's unbelievable experiences and rich relationships. Maybe, possibly, even a life worth fully living. If you're looking for a life worth fully living, find and create a tent stall in your life. God, thank you. Thank you for the call that you put on our lives. Thank you for the hope that you give us. God, remind us, give us wisdom. You know who needs to hear from you. You know who needs a little slice of all of us in their lives. God, you give us the ability to have relationships. You give us influence in places because that's exactly where we're supposed to be. God, help us to choose wisely. Help us to put outside our pride and to live an amazing, incredible journey with you. Thank you, Jesus.